Well, hello and welcome to the Smells Like Money podcast. Join me, Suzanne Chin Taylor, the Doo Doo Diva, as I interview guests who are making an impact on how we manage and operate systems for conveying and treating wastewater. As a veteran of the wastewater, trenchless, and civil infrastructure industry, each week I'll be bringing you industry know how from industry pros who know how. Join me each week as I speak with representatives of organizations that are utilizing disruptive or new technologies and methods, and executives who are excited to share how to be successful and sustainable in our vital industry. So whether you want to learn about the latest trends in technology, in treatment or trenchless, gain tips on training and retaining great talent, or simply how to be more efficient, productive, or profitable, this podcast is for you. Ready? Let's dive right in. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Doo Diva Smells Like Money podcast. Today, we are visiting with Laura Gimbelson, PE, and we're going to be talking about what some might consider a dry subject, but I think it's important to bring to light, and it may be something that many people, maybe they're kind of aware of, but on the fringes and how important it is, and that is SPE. CC plans and the benefits and the whys. And so before we get into that, and I'm going to, you know, since she's the expert, I'm going to let Laura really explain the ins and outs of this. If Laura, you know, tell, tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this particular segment of the industry or this, this important nugget. Okay. I've been involved with environment, health, and safety compliance and audits since I was a summer intern with the U.S. Corps of Engineers in Atlanta, Georgia, in the Environmental Affairs Department. Okay. Okay. While most people consider the Corps of Engineers involved with damming rivers and dealing with wetlands, it also deals with military installations, wherever they are around the world, and preventing damage to the environment and into the military facilities. And this could be, while it's generally Army, it also sometimes goes into the U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard in building some of their facilities. And especially with U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard, they're waterbound. And one aspect the Corps of Engineers has to make sure is that whatever project they do doesn't interfere with the ability of the U.S. Navy and U.S. Coast Guard to protect the waters of the United States. And this is where the SPCC plan came in because U.S. Army base commanders didn't like the fact that they had to prevent the tanks from that stole petroleum products, whether for jets or helicopters or tanks from collapsing and getting into the waterways that then interfered with the Navy being able to safely sail the ships through the coastal waterways or say in Hawaii through Pearl Harbor because US Navy captains do not like sailing through oil slicks. It damages the propellers. Okay. So this is where the history, as I was writing, the history of the SBCC plan. Um, Since then I've worked private industry with US EPA and as a consultant dealing with various issues of environmental compliance, 
and safety compliance. Both programs have emergency response to spills criteria and the SBCC plans actually work for both or uh, areas. So you may have you, know, you may think you have 20 different regulations. No. With US EPA, OSHA, and the states all said use the SPCC plan as your basis. Don't silo it from any other program, but put everything into one plan, which is what Texas called it, and just add paragraphs for the different programs that you might need. And I've been doing that, as I said, since 1976. I did in private industry. As a consultant, I worked with especially small businesses, mm -hmm. those that don't have an environmental staff or a safety staff Per, you know, ded permanently dedicated, they use consultants. And I became known within the state of Texas for creating an SBCC plan that would cover multiple different regulations. And I would list them all in Appendix A, I'd list all the regulations. And I was asked to speak as part of the Texas uh, outreach program about my plan and why it was a good idea to have one plan. And I've continued doing that since then. Because you had told me a little bit about, you know, the history of it. It started really in 1924 with these plans for coastal water protection. It's just kind of blossomed from there. So um, for those who aren't familiar with the acronym, the SPCC stands for Spill Prevention. Countermeasures and Control. Thank you. Thank you. So, you know, regulations are always changing practices as, you know, best practices come about. So what trends have you been seeing as far as requirements that are happening? You mentioned that, you know, more and more states are starting to, you know, require this, demand it, standardize it. What are you seeing as far as requirements that facilities need to be aware of if they have to put something like this together? Uh good portion of it is, besides from the defense end, is coming from state legislatures that are mandating uh, essential services like water distribution, sewer systems, power plants, gas stations, have emergency generators that can maintain the facility for a period of anywhere from 72 hours to seven days. Um, even cell, their cellular phone company has mandatory backup power requirements. They're generally about 72 hours, but as a result of hurricanes since 2000, they generally go for seven days and they use a combination of emergency generators that are diesel powered and generally have anywhere from five to 2000 500 to 2,000 gallon tank attached to it and lead acid batteries to serve as backup if they can't refuel the generator tank quickly enough. And this goes whether it's for the switches, which control the signals, or the cell towers, which actually transfer signals around the country. So all these emergency generators have diesel tanks. 
And in some of the storms, the emergency generator storage tanks broke, collapsed, and allowed all the diesel to spill into a creek on the ground or even into, say, the stormwater discharge system that then got into the river or the, or the coast and, ca and caused a oil spill or uh, animal kill or some other problems that um, may have interfered with some of the rescue and recovery efforts that U.S. FEMA was coordinating in that, or the state was coordinating or volunteers were coordinate, coordinating because the only way they can get to some areas was by water because of so much water and flooding that had occurred. And then they have to deal with an oil spill on top of that. So they- So in other they, words is the backup system needs a backup system. <laughs> yes. Needs to be maintained the backup, the backup of the backup needs to be maintained with a backup. <laughs> or, or that your backup system needs a little bit more effort than installing it, filling it, and then sometime, hopefully, you know, not just as the storm is hitting, but periodically you've checked it and make sure that the tank's okay. There isn't a tree that's grown up nearby or limbs that could fall that you've been monitoring it and doing preventive and predictive maintenance so that in an emergency, which we seem to have a lot lately, it will run and will run hopefully for three days without any problems. And by then the natural disaster has kind of ended to a point where we're now in the recovery mode and you can go back and service it and keep it running. Right. Because, you know, when we think about emergency response to spills, you know, in wastewater and collection systems, we're, you know, usually thinking of that as in an event like an SSO, we're not thinking about a spill being that fuel tank at the plant for the generator. It's just like not something we even... It never even crossed my mind until you and I had this conversation about you coming on the podcast to talk about this because I'm thinking, oh, emergency spill response, oh, SSOs. But it's it's a completely different way of looking at it. It's another side to protecting operations that yes. I think probably a lot of people don't even think about. Or they do, but they don't recognize the extent of the priority that they need to put towards it that a little tiny bit of what is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of pound of cure in this case and yes. so you know you were talking earlier about you know making sure what is it that you what is it you have on site like knowing what you have on site its condition and the what ifs in the event of a power loss or a storm disaster and so you mentioned to me earlier that I, I really want you to dive into this is that how having a plan can actually help indicate hidden issues that you may need to resolve before they become major and help even in the design of a new tank or backup design asset or emergency power supply that you might be planning for the future. So if you can dive into that a little bit, I'd appreciate it. Okay. The... SPCC plan does have minimum design criteria for the tank. One, it is not going to corrode. Um, it has secondary containment. So if there's a spill or leak or 
you have trouble filling the tank, overfill it. You can collect the uh, spills, clean it out later, and it won't get into the environment. But the other aspect is the preventive maintenance side where it specifies you have to inspect the tank and the secondary containment once a month. Take a look at it. Make sure the if it's a steel tank, the paint hasn't flicked off and you're seeing rust more than a nickel in diameter. Um, I know some state inspectors will cite your tank if they see rust a nickel in diameter. A nickel in diameter is not very big, no. but they're concerned. Uh, especially you go and you double check that your emergency switch on system is actually hooked up. Several times people haven't hooked it or it's hooked up to electrical power and there's no way to manually turn it on if the electrical power shuts down. As Texas found out in 2021, when they got cold, everything froze. And they said, well, oh, the electrical system will keep it warm. Well, the electric system went down. They had to manually heat up the valves so that they could actually turn the valve back on, that type of thing. Um, it also gives your operator who is going to probably have to refuel the tank if you go without power for more than three days or seven days an idea of where is the fill valve so where do i have to get the delivery truck to refill the tank uh, sometimes it's the way that they built it the uh, poor truck driver has to back down a dirt road covered with trees a quarter of a mile and I don't like backing out even to parking spaces. I would hate to have a 4,000 gallon diesel tank having to back down a dirt road that he really can't see to get to the tank to refill, to keep your storm sewer or your sewer or your water lift station and pump stations going. So it gives you that idea. And that tells you whether or not you need to trim the trees or actually site your tank better. Um, I've, some other areas is the secondary, they actually build a nice, beautiful concrete secondary containment with the right, with uh, three and a half feet of sidewalls, all four sides. However, the operator doing that has to bring a pillow and swivel around to do any inspections because there's no way to get into it safely. Like me, I'm short. I have had to actually sit on the secondary containment, swing my legs around, sort of hobble down into the tank, into the secondary containment to do an inspection and to check the sump to make sure that it hasn't been clogged with leaves because it's in a uh, woodsy area. And then getting out is another little uh, five minute exercise. Not as some, while the my escort who was 6'2 could just step over it. You know, that type of thing. After that, they did put in two little uh, concrete block steps to make it easier for someone short to get into it. And, and the other one is just making sure no one has siphoned off the diesel gasoline. Some people forget to put a lock on the filler cap and they have had the diesel siphoned off because again, it's in an isolated area that's not easily visible from the road. Wow, all these little things that you just don't even think about that could could happen, and then when you in the are the, in the throes of a disaster, that's the last time, to, yeah. worst time to find out that you don't have what you need, especially when you can't get it. Yes, 
And so yeah, how else can these plans avoid, you know, everybody always worries about, you know, compliance and fines and timely response. How do you see that this having a good plan like this and, you know, doing the due diligence you're supposed to under the plan can kind of keep you out of the uh, compliance find trouble? Oh, one, your operators get familiar with the system. Mm, Makes sense. And I have found, especially since I've worked in chemical plants, the more familiar the operators are with the system, the more they can tell you where something is wrong. Um, mm. one, one plant I worked in, I was having to create a new sampling plan to maintain compliance with our discharge permit. Well, it turns out the only place you can get the sample is go on your back, crawl under the pipe, and then to open the valve and the valve, and you're looking up at the valve. So even wearing safety glasses, you could get um, highly corrosive water in your face and that's and uh whoever designed it didn't realize that so the operators came up with a way to move the sampling port to the top side so it's not quite as um difficult to get a sample so again it's the operators get familiar with it they can tell you what's going to work and not work and by going there on a regular basis you can see how how good was the specs? Is the steel really lasting? Or did you get a steel that can't really be outside? It wasn't UV protective. And there are different grades of steel tanks or even plastic tanks, the same thing. Um, has any, has refilling it, has people been banging in? If you have a plastic tank, have people been banging into it? Or even the metal tank, have, trucks been back backing into it because you haven't put uh like concrete bollards in front of the fill area to give you a little bit of space um and by going out and turning the generate turning the generator on running it for an hour a month you make sure that whole backup system is working which can be incorporated into the uh checklist for the spcc plan that's an extra line and as i said most regulators like the fact that you're going to check there for structural integrity and then you're going to make sure that it operates um i mean and then if you have a pump or something you would just add the maintenance of whatever transfer pump that you're working with into it to make sure the transfer pump actually will work off the emergency generator um <laughs> I, I, I've, you know, it's, I've seen different things just pop up because no one was paying attention. No one was visiting the site once a month. No one was actually turning valves and turning on equipment to make things that work. And then you have a hurricane hit and you have to move stuff and you can't because it's not, you can't get it on the road. It's not road safe or you can't get to the area because the causeway collapsed. So, you know, it, it gets that type of things you start looking at. And as I said, good operators will tell you what's wrong. You may, I, I know some managers don't like it when the operators make comments. I always listen to them, go around, have them point out what's wrong um, and look at it. They may not be perfect, but they at least give me a starting point to say, oh yeah, that's going to be a problem if we have three inches of water on the ground, the trucks can't get in there. So we need to make sure we have something for the trucks to get in or do we 
elevate the road a little bit so that the trucks um, aren't trying to swim through a flooded area to make sure that whatever equipment that you have on the emergency system is up and running. That all makes sense. There was something that you told me about the process of piggybacking in the plan for all of your assets. And uh, can you explain what you meant by that? Okay. Um, while the SPCC plan was originally designed to deal with petroleum products and farm agricultural products like milk and orange juice, you can also use it for any hazardous materials you have. Like if you're using a bleach product or an ammonia product that you store in a tank, many of the same criteria apply for that. You can just add, as I said, add it as a section 2B or 2F and say for our corrosive materials, you also add the following, you can use the same checklist and just add another line item that, that will have it either on another page or the back page or in the table says for corrosive, and it can say for corrosive uh, products only. And if you're doing it for petroleum, you can put NA, it's perfectly acceptable and the regulators will not penalize you if you use the same checklist for multiple categories. And you can even use it for um, your heavier petroleum products that may or may not be covered under the SBCC plan. But I've used it in plants that did that had the motor fuels, had hydraulic oils, lube oils, had a couple of liquid products that were uh, organic, but weren't required to be in the SPCC plant. Um, and then they used it for their hazardous materials as well, whether or not um, it's covered under the SPCC plan, just because it was simpler just to have one one process, one check sheet, right. checklist, one, and then as they computerize it, it's just just meant you're adding uh, more lines to the spreadsheet that they were using. You printed it out. The, you know, you can cut and paste the checklist to what was appropriate for the particular tank, or you can print out, granted it was three pages, you can print out all three pages and go through. And usually the operators that did the inspections would print out all three and go ahead and inspect the other tanks just to get it out of the way. So they only spent one day inspecting everything instead of trying to schedule four different days. That or makes so a lot of sense. So you're not reinventing the wheel. You're just using the same process, but for different things, just to yes. make the burden of having to take this, take care of it, you know, much more streamlined. And I, I like and that idea of, okay, you're going to do this, put this on the calendar that once a month, this is what you're going to do for everything within that plan. It does make yes. a tremendous amount of sense. So yeah. So and if the utility or facility needs help putting something like this together, you know, I'm sure, you know, there are required, you were, you had told me that, um, you know, states are getting stricter with actually making this something that you absolutely must have. Where can they start? And if they don't know where to begin, is this something or others that have your kind of background, is this something that they can get assistance with and, how does that kind of work? How would they work with someone like okay. you? The, the first two 
first three places to check is US EPA, SPCC plan. EPA has about eight different um, handouts and sheets that you can look at for creating an SPCC plan. They've divided up into two categories. Tier one is a facility that has less than 10,000 gallons total stored in no more than one or two tanks. And each tank can hold no more than 5,000 gallons. And you basically download the template and just start filling in each and every blank. And not applicable, NA is a perfectly legitimate answer. I know some, some consultants say it's not, it is a perfectly legitimate answer. And if you're inspected and the inspector asks why it's not applicable, be ready to explain simply and concisely. If you have more than 10,000 gallons or you have more than two tanks each holding 5,000 gallons, they have what's called a tier two and it's more of a discussion plan where they tell you the different areas and some and give you some examples to walk step walk your way through. There is a 800 number that should be manned, staffed, that you can ask other questions. Um, or you can, and then you can ask environmental consultants, but you want to find out if they have, how many SPCC plans they have done. Um, the second website is OSHA, has a requirement for emergency response to spills, and that's for every chemical that OSHA regulates. They have some guidance too. Theirs is a little bit different in that it will incorporate um, some instructions from the National Fire Chiefs Association and a few other more safety oriented in minimizing impact to the employees. So it's like, so they'll have some more personnel stuff. EPA is trying to keep it from destroying the environment while OSHA works inside. And then there's your state agency that handles underground and above ground storage tanks. Uh, depending on the state, they may or may not regulate your tank. Um, states like Florida and Texas have unique regulations for tanks that are six, 550 gallons or larger. Uh, they default to the SPC for 95% of the requirements that you have, but in identifying when you report the spill to another to an agency, whether state, federal, local, or fire department, they have different criteria. That's the 5% difference. And they have a few other um, unique characteristics. Their agency has a helpline that can help you go through the plan. Plus they have information on the website that hopefully answers most of the questions. Um, there really isn't a good database of consultants that understand the SPCC plans and work to uh, provide you with a plan that's not charging an arm and a leg or a plan that you could, your operators can actually use. Um, I believe most of the plans that I've reviewed from the larger consulting firms just take each 
regulation each citation and write an answer. Um, that makes it very difficult for the operator to read. I write more like an operations manual on if, uh, if you have this, then you do A, B, C, D. And in the appendices, I have procedure, I have places where you can put your procedures for various things. You can put all your checklists. You can put um, your who you call an emergency if you need someone to help you clean up the mess. Uh, it, and you can have um, maybe your tank installation vendor information and your, uh, your tank uh, specifications back there. So you know if something goes wrong, what can you order? What was originally specified and what do you need to get replaced or equivalent? Although you want to replace it exactly. I've, I've done enough with the equivalents that it's not really equivalent, okay. especially if it's pressure relief valves and that type of thing. So as I said, there's two different approaches. I prefer SPC plan, SPCC plan to be your go-to, how do I handle a spill or release, even if it's, say, chlorine, it's not in the SPCC plan, but at least there's a procedure appendix for gases that will be in there. In case of chlorine, you must do A, B, C, D, and then, <laughs> and then <Right>. run. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Chlorine is a poison. Um, right. I, I can only call it methyl ethyl death if you're not careful. And I've seen enough pinhole releases that have sent operators into the hospital ICU for damage to the lungs. And it's not, it, as I said, it was a little pinhole. It was one tiny breath and it, it was a OSHA lost workday reportable for about uh, three months. So, but because of the SBCC plan, we actually actually minimized the damage to the operator, whether you believe it or not, and they were able to prevent anyone else from being hurt and preventing a loss of more than two, two pounds of chlorine, which is a big deal for the uh, one-ton cylinders. Right. But, it was, but it was in, basically, it, it was the SBCC plan, which has mandatory annual training, so everyone was reviewing the the spill prevention leak protection plans once a year which kept it fresh and then after the chlorine release it's updated and the operators put a few more things in there in the procedures for i think they're doing a repair work of a, a float valve so they they changed it a little bit it sounds like good. it's important to make it almost like a living document to keep adding to it and amending it as you learn more and more scenarios came up, come, come about. And well, not only that, if there is a major release, like um, earlier this week, there was a major train derailment that required fire departments from three states to attack and the town to evacuate. And I think the uh, town was evacuated for three days are now coming back. I would like to learn what happened, review it, especially since there was a release of flammable materials and a huge fire, to see if there's anything in there that could apply to 
Granted, it's only 500 gallons, but still 500 gallons can make an interesting blaze, especially if the fire department can't get to it because it's flooded or snow or something. So it's something to look at and apply it to your plant, review it. Um, I know it's not common to use other people's or big public disasters for a safety, your monthly safety training, but it doesn't hurt. And it can get you thinking about, could this happen? Because um, I know where I live in Nashville, two of the emergency storm water pump stations are right next to a rail line that carries the same chemicals as was in that fire. Right. Wow. And if anything happens to the rail line there, it, that tank could aggravate it. Wow. Well, Laura, I want to thank you for, you know, coming on the show. This was, I mean, it was very technical, but information that I think everybody needs to be aware of or begin to make themselves more aware of if they're not. And so if you can just share with our audience, uh, if they want to get in touch with you or learn more about what you do and ask some questions and, uh, you know, do a deeper dive into the knowledge for surrounding this subject, if let us know, how, how can we get in touch with you? Okay, um, they can send a message through my LinkedIn page of Laura Gimpleson, PE. Um, I have, my picture is me doing one of my dives. I, I'm a scuba diver, so I have a picture of uh, some of the scuba diving I've done. My email address is LG underscore environmental at Bell South dot net great all right well again thank you for sharing all of your expertise and knowledge and for those of you listening thank you for tuning in this week and we hope to see you on another episode and until next time keep it flowing thanks so much for joining me the doo doo diva on this week's episode of smells like money what stood out to you this week share your takeaways by leaving me a review you can find out more about the new technologies, creating sustainable solutions and insights on how to succeed in our vital industry by subscribing to the show. Whether you want to learn about the latest trends in wastewater infrastructure, treatment or trenchless, you've got it all right here at Smells Like Money. If you're an industry expert and would like to be considered as a guest for the show, book a quick chat with me by visiting Calendly.com forward slash the Tuit group forward slash b dash a dash podcast dash guest or simply click the link in the show notes below until next week a big shout out to all my industry friends and those who will be you are my superheroes thanks for tuning in keeping it flowing and we'll see you all next week <laughs>